I cannot tell you how excited I am to be able to start a new series. This is a series that I think will be hopefully very, very powerful, hopefully very insightful, and because it's God's word. It's God's word. The name of the series is The Struggle is Real, Following Jesus When Life is Hard. One of the things, people have shared this with me. I, I really literally have heard this from people before. They say, you know, either I've stopped going to church or I don't like to go to church because it seems like when I go there, everybody smiles and has it all together. And it's like, oh, maybe that's true. I think sometimes we can um, come to church and put on a happy face. And, and I mean, that's fine. I'm not saying we're going to get all you know, dark and depressed here. But my point is this, that I think one of the things that's so important for us to talk about and really dive into the word of God, which has so much to say, is that life is a struggle even for the child of God. Amen? It is a struggle. It is really, really hard. And it's not so much how happy and good and convenient and successful, quote, as the world defines it, is your life. It's how close are you to Jesus? How much are you growing into the likeness of him? How much do you depend every moment of every day on him and his grace and his power in your life? And I think so many of us, that's kind of like pretty foreign to think that way. I think it's very easy for Christians to pretty much say, I don't know if we verbalize it this way, but essentially to say, Jesus, I'll call you when I need you. Kind of like this whole idea of, I got it most of the time. I'll call you when I need you. You know, the other thing I think about too is that one of, one of, our, one of our greetings and one of the ways we say hi and welcome to each other, hi, how are you? Do we really want to know? I mean, it's almost like, he's, it's almost if somebody says, oh, you got about 10 minutes? I'm going to dump all of my problems on you. Is that okay? You good with that? And we're like, what did I say? Why did I say that, you know? And so I think the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ is called a family. We are a family. And where should you be able to be more real and sometimes raw than with family? And I think especially spiritual family. So as we talked about doing a a series after we finished our Proverbs series, this a couple months ago, it's like, you know, let's just talk about the challenges of life. Because sadly, there's a theology, there's a, a way some people view the Bible that thinks that life is supposed to be just filled with easy and comfortable and good and prosperity. My Bible doesn't say that, not in this life. My Bible does say that Jesus will walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. My Bible says that God has promised great and wonderful promises to his children, but he has not said it'll be easy. It isn't. And if you're like me, this is so much my life. Many of the most significant seasons of spiritual growth in my life have been deeply rooted in some of the most difficult, painful times of my life. And so that says to me that so much of how I grow and how I walk closer with Jesus is very much about how I react and respond to the challenges of life. And so that's really what we want to dig into over this next 
six weeks or so, this series. If you have your Bible, I get to launch this. I'm so excited. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is our text in God's word this morning. We always start and finish with the word of God here. (laughs) Anybody's opinion doesn't matter. God's truth is what matters. So we're gonna dig into 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses one through 10. And uh, for those of you that prefer to look up at the screen, these verses will be there as well. Now, I really need to give you a little context about the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians. And again, I think I said it would be in chapter 12. 2 Corinthians was the second book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Corinth is a city. Those of you that kind of do Bible study, know your Bibles, may know a little bit about the Corinthian church if you studied it before. First Corinthians has 16 chapters And basically, it's Paul addressing significant sin issues in the church at Corinth. They had problems. Just saying, they really did. And so that's what 1 Corinthians is very much about. Paul later wrote this second book um, that became scripture called 2 Corinthians. So here's the big issue that had cropped up in the Corinthian church that caused the Apostle Paul, through the leading of of God and the Spirit in his life, to pen this other book we call 2 Corinthians. There were false teachers, some who called themselves false. They didn't call themselves false. They were apostles in the church. There were self, I'll say it this way, self-proclaimed apostles in the church at Corinth. And they decided that their number one enemy was Paul. And they decided that their pursuit, their role would be to discredit the Apostle Paul and his ministry that had taken place there in Corinth. To the point that they were even preaching a false gospel. And so there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of division that had arisen. So the book of 2 Corinthians, I mean, just to say it in a very simple summary way, is Paul's defense to the Corinthian Corinthian church of his life and of his ministry as an apostle. Now, what is so fascinating as you read 2 Corinthians is Paul defending himself, but Paul was a super humble man of God. And so there's almost, and we're going to see this in the first few verses of chapter 12, there's almost kind of this tone of, being apologetic or awkwardness, I call it, about how Paul is trying to defend his apostleship. But what it leads to is some incredible, deep, beautiful teaching about suffering and how you and I can tap in to the very power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Let's start in verse one, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one. Paul says, I must go... Go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to 
tell. Third heaven, paradise, same thing. That's the very presence, the abode of God, people would say. Now, it's so interesting. Paul begins by talking in the third person. It's kind of like, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy who had this experience. But we're going to see very clearly the guy was him. He's talking about himself here. Okay? And again, this is part of him defending his apostleship. He goes, okay, let me tell you something that happened to me 14 years ago. Now, scholars think that the apostle Paul was converted to Christ either in 33 or 34 AD, which was shortly after Jesus rose from the dead. It was within a year plus that Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. The book of 2 Corinthians was written probably in 55 or 56 AD. So if you go 14 years back, 41 AD, um, that's when Paul had these incredible visions and revelations. In fact, he's saying there, I'm not even sure if it was completely spiritual that I experienced or if literally my body was transported into the very presence and abode of God. And I heard all of these things that I can't share with you, is what he says. Now, Paul never spoken in any other book that is in the New Testament written by Paul. Paul had not spoken about these revelations before. But isn't it interesting, even as I read those, those verses, that Paul's like, hey, I know a guy. And by the way, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I mean, there's this incredible humility. I so appreciate that in him. I mean, Paul was a superstar. He was. He was brilliant. He wrote scripture. He start, started churches. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was incredibly highly educated. All of those things. And yet, he's one of the most humble man, men you will read about in scripture. I appreciate that about him. Let me keep going in verse 5. Paul says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassing great revelations. Look at this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, some of you have heard this passage before. Thorn in the flesh. Huh. In fact, I've even, someone of you might say, I even heard people say that. You know, I got this co- coworker. She is such a thorn in my flesh. Just saying. You know, we throw out that phrase. Some of us use that phrase. You know, I got this sister-in-law. I got this brother-in-law. Whew. We say, don't come to family reunions. You're a thorn in all of our flesh, you know. So the way that term is used, but what I want us to see this morning is what in the world does Paul really mean about that term? What is the thorn? That'll be one of the big things that we look at together this morning, okay? So let me go ahead and jump in to talking about the purpose of the thorn. Super important in this passage, the purpose of the thorn. He calls it a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That's the phrase, and we're going to kind of unpack that this morning. I like to, whenever I talk about what something is, I like to talk about what it's not. Because to me, that's always helpful for me to know. Let me tell you what 
the thorn in the flesh was not. The thorn in the flesh was not something given to Paul to irritate him or just to frustrate him. Again, that's how I've often heard this term used by people. You know, you're, 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 you're just so irritating to me. You know, that's not consistent with the character of God. Let me make that clear to you. Irritating and frustrating you is not part of God's character and plan for your life. That doesn't mean you won't go through trials. That means that you won't encounter situations that frustrate you. But God does not say, how can I frustrate him today? Hmm. God doesn't do that. But you know what? I think we can live like that. Those of us that tend to be pretty impatient, you know, there are things I'm really patient about. There are things I am like zero patience about. Maybe you're like that too. And it's like, why, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to wait? Why are you so late all the time? You know, why, why, why? And we kind of go through this. It's like, okay, is that, is that God's way of humbling me, you know, to, to just kind of irritate and frustrate me? I don't think so. I don't think that's his purpose. I mean, I think we can learn a lot about patience in the midst of our frustration. But that's certainly not what the thorn is about. Let me tell you what else the thorn is not about in this passage. It's not God punishing Paul. It's not God punishing Paul. Why? Because we're going to see as we go through this passage what the purpose really is. And it's not God saying, I just want to punish you. Now, does God ever discipline his children? Yes. Romans chapter 12 talks about that. Other passages in scripture. He prunes us. He refines us. The Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins so that we will repent and get right with God, right? That's part of God's ministry to us, absolutely. But the purpose of the thorn is not to punish him for some deep sin in his life. That, you don't see that in the text. That's not there. Let me tell you one more thing that it's not. Did you see that it used the phrase messenger of Satan? Satan never overrules Jesus. Amen? You want to hear that again? Satan never overrules Jesus. He doesn't. But here's what's so fascinating. Sometimes God will allow Satan to do something, messenger, to ultimately create hardship which leads to growth in the life of his children. Can I give you an example? Uh, Job, Job, remember Job, New Old Testament? The book of Job begins by saying this. There once was a man named Job. He was blameless, he was upright, he feared God. He was just the, quote, greatest man on the earth, spiritually. Then it says, one day Satan came to God and said, I'd like to mess with Job. And God said, and God allowed him to do that. And as you know, in those first couple chapters, all of his possessions are taken and destroyed. His children die, they're killed. And then he is stricken with boils, it says, with wounds, sores all over his body, which apparently were painful, maybe excruciating. God allowed that. And so I think when Paul talks about this messenger of Satan, he's saying that a good loving God who deeply loved the Apostle Paul for God's purpose allowed this thorn. 
in his life. Here's what's so important. This is one of the really important things I want to say this morning. God always has a great purpose for whatever happens in your life. He has a great purpose. The primary purpose, as I shared last week, was to conform you to the image of a son, to make you more like Jesus. But God has other things that often don't uh, mean immediate comfort in your life. Often the things that God will use to take you to where he wants you to go are really hard and really painful. That's part of his plan, okay? So, one of the things, because I've been asked this over the years and I I thought I'd do a little research. One of the things I've, I've been asked, and maybe some of you have thought a lot about this is too. So what exactly was Paul's thorn? What was it? It's so fun to see what scholars speculate it was. You know why? It doesn't say. We're not told specifically what Paul's thorn was. Let me give you a sampling of what different Bible scholars have said. It was an intense earache, a severe headache, eye problems, epilepsy, constant fever, a stuttering problem, constant persecution from his enemies, demonic oppression, shame from his past as a persecutor of the church, severe temptation to sin, deep depression. And that's not even the whole list. Where did they get all that? Well, there are little bits and pieces where Paul says something about his eyesight and Paul says things about other issues in his life if you really scour the book of Acts in the New Testament. But you know what? This passage is not all about what was Paul's thorn. You see, God has this way of leaving stuff out because he doesn't want us to fixate on it. I can remember being asked over the years, so what do you think Jesus looked like? I think he looked like a Jewish man. How about if we go there? You know, I'm pretty sure that was probably it. But I mean, think of the things that scripture leaves out. That is a very important principle of good Bible study because we love to speculate. Well, I kind of think he was, you know, at least six feet tall. I kind you know, what? What? Well, he's a carpenter, so he's awfully really ripped, you know? I mean, I, crazy stuff what I hear people say. And it's kind of like, there's a reason why it's left out of God's word. You know what? We're going to get to see him face to face. Amen. We will know. And we're just going to, I think we're going to fall on our face and worship him. I think that's what's going to happen when we see him. Not, oh, your hair's a little longer than I thought. You know, we're not going to do that. So it's really good that God leaves things out. And and a lot of us have very inquisitive minds. And we kind of want to know all this stuff. And God says, you don't need to know. And don't make it up and act like it's in the text because it's not. I think that's important to remember. Okay. Purpose is clearly, let me go back to this. The purpose is clearly of the thorn given in the last half of verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Let me say it as simply as I know how. The purpose of the thorn was to keep Paul humble and dependent 
on Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. To keep Paul humble and dependent upon Jesus Christ. Now, as you read the epistles of Paul, the book of Acts, Paul was a humble guy. Again, he was like so gifted and bright and talented and passionate. And he had a lot of uh, wonderful qualities. But this man was very deeply humble. And yet the purpose of his thorn was to humble him. Isn't that interesting? And to make him dependent on Jesus. It wasn't just to make him feel badly about himself. It was to drive him to Jesus. That was the purpose of the thorn. I think we all, all of us, it's part of our sin nature, isn't it? To not be humble. To be self-centered. To be self-serving. To be self-sufficient. It's all about me. To be self-protective. To be engaged in self-survival. Those things aren't bad. I think God has built us with those. And there are times where we need to survive for sure. But our bent is not humility. Our bent is not to put others before ourselves naturally. I think that's the point. So the apostle Paul said, so that I will not be conceited to keep me humble, God gave me this thorn. Look at verse eight with me. This is so incredible. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You know, first time, I, a couple times I read that, I said three times, like three times in 14 years. How about three times a day? How about three times an hour? How about like constantly? God, take this away, take this away, take this away. I hate this, I hate that. You know, that would kind of be me for sure. <laughs> he must have been talking about three very, very key strategic moments in his life when he just cried out. He uses the word pleaded pleaded with God to take it away. Now, I thought it would be helpful to do a quick little word study for you with the word, last word in verse seven, torment. To torment me, torment. So let me tell you about this. this, It's a Greek word, New Testament. So let me tell you about this word. Here's a total of four times in the New Testament. So two of the times that it's used are in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, okay? This word is used the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested, was taken by the guards. It says he was mocked. A crown of thorns was pressed down upon his head. And then I want to give you the exact words. They struck him with their fists. They beat him. That's the word for torment in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. They beat him, Jesus, with their fists. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 is the other time this Greek word is used in the New Testament by the Apostle Peter. Peter writes, for how is it to your credit if you receive a beating, that's the word, receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, 
This is commendable before God. Paul says, my thorn torments me. It's like me being beaten. That's not just a little irritation, is it? This is like intense, severe. You know, I couldn't help when I I read that verse, verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. My mind just went right to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus before his father, the night before he'd be crucified. And it's recorded three times that he cried out to his father in the garden. Father, if there be any way, take this cup away from me. Take this cup. That's pleading with God. But then what did Jesus say? Not my will. Yours, Father, be done. Sometimes the agony and the anguish and the pain, and we see it in Jesus, we see it in Paul, we see it in other godly people, is to submit to whatever God is doing through that in your life. I take supernatural power, my friends. There's nothing natural about doing that. That is so difficult. Yet we see that. I want you to see, um, as I jump down to verse nine, first part of verse nine, Paul follows by saying, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. God is saying to Paul, there is great benefit to your struggle. There is great benefit to your pain. And it's kind of like he's saying, Paul, I know, I know you're gifted. I know you're brilliant. I know you accomplish a great deal. I know you're passionate. I know you have great resilience and stamina, those things don't touch the power that I can give you, the power of Christ that I can give you. And he basically is saying to Paul, and he says, absolutely to you and me, and it seems like you're not often willing to voluntarily tap into my power. So sometimes things need to happen like a thorn to really encourage you to do that. You know, I just, I couldn't help as I studied this passage to think how many times I have not necessarily verbalized, but I have acted like, God, I got it. I'm actually living my life pretty well right now, according to my standard for my life. I got it. When it gets incredibly hard, when I have no idea what to do, I'll let you know. And what that says to me, even as I say it to you, is my bar for my life is so low. Because if you and I learn to tap into the power of Christ in our lives in deep and meaningful ways, it would transform us, right? It would transform us. It would. So I'm calling this the potential outcome of the thorn, Christ's power in my life. That's the potential outcome 
of the thorn. Now, I want to I unpack the word for just a little bit, the, the word grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace. Word, one of the beautiful words in scripture. So let me just mention three different types of grace that I think come and are available to the child of God in the power of Christ. One is what I just would call sustaining grace. Think with me about the context of a very, very painful, difficult, challenging season of your life. You need sustaining grace. And by sustaining grace, I mean strength to endure the agony. Strength to endure the suffering. Strength from God to do that. Like many of you, boy, I certainly have witnessed the power of God in the life of an individual who's going through a deeply significant time of trial and suffering. And, and, and people look at this person, and I'm referring to somebody who may be just a very deep, deep, committed believer in Jesus Christ. And this person is calm. And this person's words are kind. And this person doesn't want to talk about themselves because they want to know how you're doing. And this person may even have moments of joy and laughter in their lives. And yet they're living in the valley. And we say, what? Oh, that's what the power of Christ looks like in the life of somebody sold out to Jesus during a dark, dark time. It's so beautiful. That's sustaining grace. Don't we, is this true of you, don't we, when, when everything is, is terrible and hard and horrible and painful, just say, God, get me out of this. That's such the go-to. That's the default mode. Get me out of this. Make it stop. But what happens when it doesn't? It doesn't stop. And it keeps going. Don't indict God, that he's not loving. Realize that he, my friends, wants us to learn to tap into the power of Christ in our lives. Crying out to him. We call that, I'm calling that sustaining grace. The second kind of grace, again, I, I kind of made this up, but it's just what I'm calling remembering grace. Remembering grace. Reflecting that God is gracious Remembering grace to look beyond the immediate struggle is my point with this. Let me tell you why I'm such an advocate of reading God's word a lot. <laughs> God does this incredible thing when you just read and read in his word and study his word over the course of years. He plants his word in your heart. He plants his word in your mind. And one of the greatest things that happens, I think, as God's word just really lives in your mind and lives in your heart because you've just been a, a serious student and reader of God's word is he just, he brings truth to mind like this. He does. He brings verses. He brings passages. He brings things to your mind. And it's like, he's saying, remember, remember, remember. The other beautiful thing he does is he brings back situations in your life from the past where he showed up in a big way. 
And he says, remember, I'm here, remember. I call that remembering grace because it, it's just part of the gracious way that God wants us to not live and dwell in our misery when life is hard. Remember the promises of God. My brothers and sisters, fill your mind with the word of God. Let the word of God dwell richly in your mind and in your heart. And it's one of the most beautiful things because the Holy Spirit just brings truth to your mind. I believe that when you do that. My third one is what I simply call gospel grace. What do I mean by that? It's when people who live during the difficult, challenging times of life live out the gospel and everything about their life points to Jesus. They live out the gospel. That's gospel grace. Some of you, I've, I shared this a year and a half ago. Some of you might remember, um, I, I had a sister-in-law who's now with Jesus, married to my, one of my older brothers, who really, really, really suffered and struggled for two years with brain cancer. She's one of the godliest women I've ever known. And her testimony to all of the medical people, the oncologists, the nurses, everybody who worked with her, when the surgeon had to tell her that her tumor had not shrunk after months of radiation, he bawled in her presence and in my brother's presence because they had so learned to admire Wendy as this remarkable woman. And when Wendy would say, it has nothing to do with me, and she would point them to Jesus when she could still talk. And that's gospel grace, <laughs> my friends. That's people who in their struggle are able to be like Jesus. And people look at that and they just think, what in the world? And it's like, well, it's because it's not of this world. That is a supernatural power of Christ at work. Can I tell you this, just so you know, that's not reserved for just the super saints. <laughs> we all have access to the power of Christ. If you are a child of God through personal faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you and the power of Jesus is accessible to you. The big issue, hope you get this this morning, the big issue is we just don't naturally draw on it because we think we can do it ourselves. And even an amazing godly man like the Apostle Paul needed to be humbled, needed to be reminded that he was weak. And so maybe instead of just like throwing a fit, kicking and screaming when we're going through the tough stuff, we'll talk to Jesus and ask for his power Ask for his strength, ask for his grace so that maybe in those most difficult seasons of life, we have the most powerful testimony for Jesus. I have just seen that over and over and may that be true of any of us and all of us. Okay, I'm gonna have to finish up. Let me, let me give you um, my fourth, what I'm calling the most godly response to the thorn. My, my fourth truth about the thorn. Here's the most godly response. This is mind-blowing. Second half of verse nine. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, for his name, I delight. What? I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't think it's coincidental or unintentional that Paul ends this portion of scripture talking about boasting. Remember, the passage began with him boasting his uncomfortableness with defending himself. He goes, hey, let me tell you what I will boast about. I'll boast gladly about my weaknesses. In fact, if Jesus is glorified, if his power is being shown through me for the sake of the gospel, I delight in it. I delight in those weaknesses. And again, this is like so not normal. (laughs) Almost seems crazy. But it's what the power of Christ through us can do. And maybe some of you have manifested that in your life. And certainly some of us have seen it in the lives of others who are walking through the valley and you just see Jesus so clearly and beautifully in their life. Wow. Well, let me, let me wrap up by saying, you know, as I studied this passage, I thought, I have such a wrong, <laughs> different view of the thorn. I mean, I don't even know if I have a thorn. Do you know if you have a thorn? I don't know. Like what Paul's talking about. Who gets the thorn? Do only the people who need to be humbled get the thorn? That would be all of us. Who gets the thorn? I don't know. Is the purpose of the thorn always to humble us and tap into the power of Christ? That's the example here. Here would be my take when I have hard stuff in my life. I try to kind of reason with God. You ever do this? Bargain with God? Okay, God, if I could just make an additional $10,000 a year, I would be awesome, okay? I mean, there's so much more I could do. There's so much more I could give. I could pay all my bills on time, which is a good thing. And I mean, or God, if I could just have a different boss <laughs> or coworker that my cubicle is next to his, are you kidding me? You know, and we look at all these little irritations in our lives. And isn't it normal to say, Lord, if you just remove these barriers, if you just remove these obstacles, if you just remove these irritants in my life, I would be so much better. I could do so much more for you. And the Bible flips that. It just flips it. Because it's about the power of Christ that we cry out for in our weakness. That's what it is. So that's what I want to encourage you. I hope it's encouraging. I don't know if it's a downer this morning, but I think the whole way this series we want to use and we want to view this idea of suffering and deep suffering and deep challenge in our lives is that very, very often God doesn't resolve the hard even in this life. He often doesn't. And so how will that affect how we choose to live our lives? Will we be angry? Will we grow bitter? 
Will we make everybody around us miserable because we're so miserable? We feel so unfairly treated? Or will we cry out for God's power? We will say, Lord, help me grow in humility so that when people see me, they see Jesus. And Lord, I'm gonna quit quit saying, I don't need you because I got it. No, I need you constantly. I really do. And in doing that, I believe he delights in giving us his power. May that be true of us this week and the weeks following. Would you pray with me? So grateful, Father, that you don't want us... to just live with heartache and sorrow and not ask and not ask you to answer prayer because you do and not ask you to heal because you do. We believe that. We know that you tell us that. But Father, in some other mysterious way, you use struggle and even pain and maybe pain that goes on and on and on for your purpose and your glory. And Father, we just confess we don't understand how this all works, but it's what your word has said. And Lord Jesus, I pray, pray so much this morning for my brothers and sisters. I think of those who do have a thorn. I think of those who are in a dark and and, and hard place. Father, would you guard their hearts? Would you guard their minds? Would you help them to understand that you are with them and that you are for them? Would you help them to cry out for the grace, the power of Christ in their lives? Father, we all need that at certain times for sure, often in our lives. Some people, Lord, need it deeply and desperately today. Help them. Encourage them. Thank you, Father, for the start of this series. I pray that we would be very real and realistic about how hard life can be, that we wouldn't act like everything's fine when it's not, but, Lord, that we would see that through the power of Christ, the power of your spirit, and certainly through brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can more than just survive We can see you do amazing things in us and through us. So Lord, that is our prayer. That is our heart. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would see your power manifest in us and through us. And we pray in your name for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.